All right, let's turn to uh, Ottawa next, where that trucker protest uh, continues. And at this hour, a judge in the nation's capital hearing legal complaints from Ottawa residents over the ongoing uh, noise and commotion in the city's core. Here is NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. He is asking for Parliament to sit tonight for an emergency session. Have a listen. And there is there's serious concerns going on. Obviously, in Ottawa, people are going through a really horrible situation where the it's clear that the stated intent of this of this um convoy is is to overthrow the government. All right, let's go to a Christian Leprecht who is with the Political Science Department at Queen's University for more on all of this. He joins us now. Christian, good afternoon. Thanks so much. Good afternoon. My pleasure. All right, lots to discuss here, and I want to start maybe just with the stark differences we saw this uh, weekend between uh, what happened and what continues to happen in Ottawa and what happened in Toronto this past weekend. Was Toronto just better prepared because of uh, what happened the previous week in Ottawa? Yeah, I think that's one element. Uh, I think in Ottawa, the initial risk assessments and threat assessments underestimated the determination, they underestimated the degree of organization, and they underestimated the financing uh, that uh, the protesters would bring with them. Uh, but perhaps there might have also been some failures on Ottawa police of uh, either not communicating red lines clearly early on, or as we, for instance, saw in Winnipeg um, or Regina over the weekend, uh, enforcing very expeditiously the moment somebody uh, violated one of the conditions that had been laid out. And I mean, you saw in Toronto that Chief Raymer uh, made it very clear how this was going to go down um, and where it was going to go down, and that they also had a, uh, created a big berth uh, around uh, critical infrastructure, notably Queen's Park um, and uh, Hospital Row. Now, Ottawa's mayor has uh, since uh, proclaimed a state of emergency. Uh, what does that do for the city? And do you think that this is the first step in Ottawa, in the city of Ottawa, and the police department there, maybe taking control of the situation, much like you described happened in Toronto? Well, so I don't think there's actually an opportunity for Ottawa City Police to take control of the situation anymore. I mean, Chief Slody has said that under the Police Services Act, he does not have the legislative power and mandate uh, to uh, patrol, control uh, this sort of protest. And he's also said that he simply doesn't have the resources, uh, he doesn't have the manpower to uh, to do this. And so you can already see this, uh, with the police force that's been called in to do this now, to run this, the command post is the Ontario Provincial Police. That's no surprise. The the OPP has lots of experience with protests, um, uh, like with sort of these occupation-type protests, if you think of uh, Brantford, if you think of uh, the Tyndinaga rail lines. Uh, so I think, um, basically, I think what Ottawa is trying to do is hand this protest over to the OPP. Ottawa will continue to support. They'll probably be continued to involved in the, in, the, in the command and control and intelligence uh, component here. Uh, but this is part of the reason why the mayor called uh, a state of emergency, uh, because the, neither legislatively nor in terms of the resources was the city uh, in a position to cope with what's transpiring uh, on city property near Parliament Hill. So we will likely see the OPP uh, further involved, uh, more involved in the situation in Ottawa. I know there's been a lot of talk about the RCMP. They were involved uh, in Alberta, even the military. There's been talk about that as well. Yeah, the RCMP is effectively already involved because the Parliamentary Protective Service is by and large made up of uh, 
um, of former uh, Mounties and, and, and other law enforcement. And the RCMP is, of course, one of the eight police forces of jurisdiction. This might also have played in that the parliamentary precinct uh, has multiple law enforcement agencies that are in charge of protection, depending on where exactly you are in the precinct. Um, but of course, after 2014, when they have Bibo shot up parliament, um, there were considerable changes made, including creating this parliamentary protective service. So one of the surprises, I think, is that uh, uh, the agencies were not uh, more adequately and more effectively prepared. But if you listen to Chief slowly, carefully, I mean, he's signaling that this is far more than just a protest. Uh, when he pointed out that there's now weapons being uh, potentially funneled into some of the protesters. And when he called it an insurrection, I think that was a signal. Um, and the signal that I took away from this is that he's concerned this is going this has the potential to turn into a January 6th type uh, uh, Capitol Hill uh, type riot. And so this is, I think, why there's now a, uh, a, a this is a genuine national security concern that goes beyond the mere disruptions of people's lives in Ottawa. And I want to talk about those disruptions, sorry, in just a second, but we did get the reports as well that uh, Ottawa police uh, Sunday night had descended upon a baseball stadium, a parking uh, lot there that's uh, been kind of a staging area for protesters in the downtown core. And they're uh, seizing uh, fuel, which, of course, is a, a key supply for the uh, protesters and for this protest continuing and, and ongoing. Is that the sort of... Uh, uh, I guess, strategy, if you will, uh, Christian, that the police need to start employing. I mean, they first w went after the GoFundMe uh, campaign and the funds. Now they're going after the fuel. Yeah, so they're trying to make life more difficult. If you look sort of physically where they've now created staging areas where, for instance, the protesters now have to go to get their meals, um, it's significantly removed from from where the actual protest is. So I think they're just trying to create greater inconvenience. Uh, they're trying to do this in a manner where they have staging areas where they actually have visibility over what's happening. That can be very difficult in the Ottawa downtown core. If you've been in the downtown core, you'll know that there's lots of sort of high-rise buildings, smaller streets, so it's much more difficult to do uh, surveillance on what's actually happening and who's doing what. Um, and clearly the strategy now is to try to starve the protesters. So you starve them of fuel, but really what you need to starve them of is the financial resources. And um, you'll have seen hypotheses raised that, is, that some of the money, perhaps a significant amount of money, may be coming from uh, outside of the country. Um, my guess is that FinTrack, our financial intelligence uh, agency, um, is already examining that. The challenge is, of course, that we have this very homeopathic posture in Canada when it comes to national security. And so one of the silver linings here is that uh, we need to make sure that we have a national security architecture that's fit for purpose. And clearly, the protest and the inability to do the enforcement that's necessary shows uh, that serious uh, reforms are necessary. And I think Canada will need to think uh, seriously about adopting foreign interference legislation of the sort that Australia has. And so I think uh, federal politicians need to stop posturing and denouncing and need to actually start taking legislative action to provide the sort of instruments that are necessary for intelligence and law enforcement to be more proactive. Well, as a result of that lack of action, uh, citizens themselves have uh, taken action, uh, court action. As I mentioned off the top, uh, we're watching an Ottawa courtroom as a judge is hearing a complaint from several Ottawa residents. Uh, they filed a, a suit for a damages, one near $5 million for private nuisance. Uh, the second punitive damage is worth another uh, $5 million. What, if anything, what sort of bearing might that have on uh, things in the days to come, do you think? Yeah, so you see multiple uh, opportunities here. So that aside from law enforcement action, you see the civil action, and that clearly one of the targets here is 
trying to make sure that the money that's been raised can't actually be paid out to the protesters. That's what I see as sort of the main objective of, uh, um, of these legal actions. But if we had Australian-type legislation, then the government could simply hold the money and seize the money, for instance. Uh, so, you know, we wouldn't need to go through all these types of contortions uh, if we had had a bit more foresight. All right. Improved legislation is uh, something probably for another day, maybe one of the lessons uh, learned uh, from this. But uh, where do you see this going in Ottawa over the coming days and uh, through the rest of this week, Christian? Yeah, so one key difference to Toronto is that in Ottawa, you don't have... Uh, one cohesive group, uh, one leader, or uh, one leadership team even. Um, and you also see a host of spectrum, an entire spectrum of demands that different groups have put forward. And so if you don't know who to negotiate with and what you're going to negotiate over, that makes it extremely complex because now authorities can't sit down with someone. This is why the pros say the prime minister should come out and talk to them. But what's the point of the prime minister coming out and talking to them uh, if he knows that whatever he might negotiate with one group, some other group is probably not going to adhere to? Um, and so the, this sort of this, this leaderless type of protest is, uh, is one of the uh, serious challenges that we face here. I mean, one of the benefits is that Ottawa is the second coldest capital in the world, uh, and it's February. So, you know, clearly the, the approach is going to be uh, life's going to get pretty cold for some of the protesters who are hunkering down. And so we'll see how resilient uh, they, uh, they really are. If we think back to 1977 and the trucker protest in Quebec City, uh, after two weeks, eventually the, uh, the truckers ended up shipping out. Um, and so I think this is sort of the hope here that uh, the protest will eventually just fizzle out uh, if you can make it uh, more inconvenient for people. All right. Well, we will continue, obviously, to uh, watch the developing situation. Christian, really appreciate the time with us this afternoon and your expertise. Thanks so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Be well. Dr. Christian Leprec is a security expert and with the political science department at Queen's University. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.